Welcome to our continuing series, The Con. And our protagonist, as usual, is a producer, director, and everything with regards to The Con, the one and only Patrick Lovell. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Quick caveat, uh, wasn't the director, my companion was, but I am the protagonist and otherwise known as... Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The producer. The producer. Amen. There we go. Well, uh, mission corrected. And for the director who heard that, I'm not scratching it because we like a little bit of errors here and there. Anyhow, folks, today's episode is titled, Let's Deconstruct What Is, uh, what is Versus What We Think Is. Are we a democracy? Does our economy function as a capitalist engine? Um, I want you guys to, before we get started, to take a look at this video, and then we'll get back. After the Great Depression, we actually look at what caused the problems, and we actually move to fix them. At that point, even though FDR had actually been opposed to deposit insurance, he took the bold step of creating uh, deposit insurance. And that stopped these kinds of destructive runs and gave people confidence that they could actually put their money in the bank like you're supposed to, save over 10 years, get enough money for a down payment, and buy your home. Glass-Steagall adopted as part of that same uh, legislation and they create the Securities and Exchange Commission, again, to give people confidence that they can do the things we're told to do, invest, right, in a diversified portfolio, all that good type of stuff. Well, that makes sense if it's an honest system. If it's dishonest, why would I put my money in that kind of system? In other words, when we stop the crooks, we make capitalism work, and only when we stop the crooks. And I'm not saying that regulation is always good or that more regulation is always the answer. It's not, ideology would suggest that you are either in favor of regulation or you're against regulation. Well, what if you're just in favor of smart regulation, better regulation, the most rational regulation possible? Where does that put you? I would suggest that at that point, you're making evidentiary-based decisions about what works the best rather than ideological decisions, more regulation, less regulation, which really doesn't make sense when you think about it. So to me, capitalism and smart regulation go hand in hand. You need them both. And one without the other, I, I just don't think it works. When somebody can make a loan to somebody knowing and that that loan is not, when it resets, when that adjustable rate comes in, they're not going to be able to afford this. But I will have gotten my fee as the lender or the broker. And I don't care what happens to this person. And, and that there's nobody in the government who's going to take a look at that and say, oh, no, you can't do that to people. Because independent mortgage companies, 
had almost no regulation over them. So this is what you get when you have no regulation. The institutions should not be able to gouge you, they should not be able to con you, they should not be able to cheat you. And if they do, that we have institutions within the government that ensure that those people pay for it. Honesty is good business. Rule of law makes honesty something can, that can actually prevail in a marketplace. Absent the rule of law and vigorous prosecutors and regulators, the cheaters will prosper. The financial system, where Wall Street is kind of at the top, is supposed to be a, a support structure for the real economy. It's supposed to provide financing for individuals who want to buy a home or for anybody who wants to start a company, grow a company, whether it's the corner store or whether it's, you know, Caterpillar or Boeing, right? Starting in the 80s and really taking off in the 1990s, finance really started focusing on enriching itself, much more so than lending to the real economy. And the game was to get the biggest bonus as fast as possible. And that, that is hard to do when you're just lending to people to get mortgages to buy a home or for somebody to start a small business or build a small business. It's even hard to make that kind of money when you're lending and financing medium and large businesses. But trading complex derivatives, now there, there's some money in that. And mainly the trading and investment operations of the banks as opposed to the lending operations of the banks, basically took over the business model and focus of the too big to fail banks, the biggest banks in the world, even though they did not contribute much to the economy. In fact, most of it was socially useless. John Kay, an economist in London, wrote a book called Other People's Money. And in it, he talks about how, by his calculation and others, Goldman Sachs, by the time of the crash in 2008, less than 10% of the activities of Goldman Sachs actually related to financing activities in the real economy. Well, why is the U.S. taxpayer and the government backing and supporting gigantic, fragile financial institutions engaged in incredibly high-risk and dangerous activities that are largely directed to enriching thousands of bankers who are already filthy rich for the most part, as opposed to supporting banks that lend to the real economy, that allow people to save and build up nest eggs for retirement or for a home or to put their kids through college or to finance the pharmacy, the small business, the good idea. That's why the banking system exists, to service the real economy not to be a parasite on the real economy to enrich themselves. And in fact, one of the most telling uh, statistics is in 2007-ish, somewhere in there, uh, the corporate profits of the financial sector in the United States was 40% of all corporate profits. So think about that. The support part of the entire economy was consuming 40% of the total profits. Well, that's a completely unbalanced financial system that's lost its way and is no longer focused on the real economy, which is what America is supposed to be all about. That's what creates economic growth. That's what creates jobs. That's what actually causes wages to go up. 
That's what enables people to have a higher standard of living and to achieve the American dream. Home ownership, your kids are gonna do better than you, they get to go to college. That's what's supposed to happen as a result of the real economy being properly supported by the financial sector. And that was completely gone by and large by 2000, the 2008 crash. Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. Anyhow, um, are we a democracy for real? Far from it. Um, you live in the great state of Texas. How would yes. you describe the state of affairs in Texas these days? It's horrendous. We have a, 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 a legislature that cares nothing about the people. We have people, even as we have insurance that everybody should have access to, they're being denied doesn't seem like a democracy to me, especially since it was democratically passed. You know, recently I've been spending a lot of time kind of re-conceptualizing, if you will, um, the last hundred years of American history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll just stay off the top. You know, whatever this era is, is a far cry from what the United States has been, minus a lot of incredibly hor horrific eras that we've had to overcome mm -hmm. in terms of actual, I'd say, awareness of the way things are at this in this era, given the amount of information that exists. It's incredible how many people actually feign belief that we that democracy is still hanging on by a thread. The way I frame it, Egberto, is no, we are not a democracy. Uh, not even remotely close to a democracy, but it's even more diabolical than that. The way I frame it, Eric Berto, is we're a corporate fascist state undergirded by a criminal syndicate. And in your video, you describe, uh, in that video, people saw things like derivatives and people would say, what the hell does derivatives have anything to do with, let's say, our capitalist structure and our democracy? We're tying all of this together. But I want it to be a bit uh, provocative in the beginning by just talking about democracy so tell us about what we thought something was and what it actually is well i think you just look straight forward to the actions of our government if the government were actually following the trajectory of what most people in this country um are interested in or support the country would look a lot different in terms of its decisions so what we have is an inverted perverse I think that's it, inverted a perverse sort of relationship to power to where, and it may in some people's estimation have always been this way, but I can tell you it is this way in this modern era. It's government for the minority, which is ultimately up by and for the corporation. And who is the corporate corporation is the question. And there are hierarchies within that sort of framing, but most of it follows what fuels everything in this country, which of course is capital, not necessarily to be construed, although many do it, as do you and many others, and justifiably so with a minor caveat, which is really the ultimate reveal. Capitalism, in many ways, capital fuels whatever the situation is. It comes down to policy. It comes down to structure. It comes down to integrity of systems or lack thereof and ultimately how they perform, and therein lies the the, the answer, Egberto. Now, um, you, you mentioned that we, we are supposedly a capitalist engine, but uh, from your, your, your pre, from the previous video that I showed, 
it's interesting because it turns out that these guys who are the bastions of capitalism are simply moving paper. They're move, They're creating these instruments that, as you mentioned in the video, does nothing for society. It simply moves money around. They get to profit off of these things like derivatives and other money instruments, but does nothing for the economy. Is that really all capitalism is? Well, the answer to me is it's a more direct uh, correlation is to call it casino capitalism mm -hmm. or late stage capitalism, which is actually not explain that late stage capitalism. You know, it depends on who you read. And, and, and I'm not an expert in Marx and nor am I an expert in certain other sorts of projected socialist sort of framings of what that particular stage is. But what I have read, especially from Marx, does align perfectly with where we are. So we've known over the last 50 years, we've created a neoliberal scenario based on globalization, based on supposedly efficiencies. Now, capitalism is definitely about efficiency, supposedly. But what we did when you farm out the golden goose, which is the production capacity to produce what we consume, and then you farm it out for a whole variety of reasons, which is supposedly efficiency and getting cost um, protectionism. I don't know about protectionism, protectionism so, mu so much, but cost, low cost for the most for the most consumer. What you've done is you've thrown out the baby with, with the bathwater and you don't have a dynamic economy anymore. And so what we replaced that with was the facade, which you've said so importantly, and of course, at the beginning of this, with that particular uh, link that we showed, fraud. Wall Street's business model is fraud. So the question becomes, if you don't have a consumer society predicated on income, how then can you somehow manifest a massive debt society that supposedly is underwritten correctly, presumably on all of the different underwriting standards that would project and determine the debt-based society? You can't. That's where it becomes a facade because you're not in equilibrium, you're not in balance, and in in the in the vacuum Arts of that, fall. then you have to create the facade, which is created by fraud. Now it's interesting because uh, last time we spoke, we spoke about the fallacy of infinite productivity. In other words, infinite growth. And uh, I mean, uh, you, there's no there's no room. I mean, there's steady there's steady state income accumulation, but then there's also uh, this belief, if you look at the stock market, one of the reasons stock prices never correlate with the actual values of a corporation or whatever, is they're looking at future value and a future value assumes uh, uh, next to infinite growth. Impossible. I always tell people that if you want to, if you want to learn why the economic system is a fraud, realize that if you have a pie and you have uh, a, a, a piece of that pie is growing at 7%, and another piece of that pie is growing at at two uh, percent. That pie remains a circle. That means that that seven percent, uh, as you as the deriv as you do the derivative, that pie is going to eat up the entire space. The the, the one growing at seven percent. And when I thought you were going to say when you mentioned late state capitalism, that is exactly what uh, that is exactly what we envision here as late state capitalism where we've we've grown 
one side has grown so far that it has eaten the rest, which is what you manifest in much of what you um, what you display. But the ultimate reveal is, to your point initially, and what Bernie Sanders had conjured many years ago, especially during the 2016 presidential campaign, where he famously said in front of the world with absolutely zero follow-up, and actually zero follow-up from him in terms of the details, which I'm about to reveal to you and your audience, was when he said Wall Street's business model is fraud, predicated on what we're talking about. Right. Ultimately, this all disseminates from information we've known at least since the 90s, 80s, in terms of the savings and loan debacle, and what at that time our agencies and our institutions in uh, legal enforcement did to ferret out what created those problems. They all emanate from what's known as control fraud. So as we show you in this next video, the idea is that CEOs be are able to encapsulate themselves in their management cloistered with their own um, board of directors that they handpick. Then they create a model based on modern executive compensation, which is to create the next quarter's profits. Now, to do so in a bank or in a financial scenario, you've got to broaden the scope of the box of lending mechanisms to be able to provide more loans. So what you have to do are four things within the control fraud model. A, You've got to be able to uh, grow like crazy. The numbers that we saw during the SNL crisis and then ultimately during the 2008 great financial crisis with these financial financial behemoths was they would grow somewhere in the vicinity of 100 to 500 percent during a quarter. Absolutely unprecedented numbers that were against any sort of corollary uh, logically in terms of actual consumption. That's first and foremost. Well, well how would you do that? Well, you got to make a lot of really, really bad loans. Well, how do you make bad loans? Well, you create what we call Gresham's dynamic to where you get rid of the underwriting standards and you create a larger sort of component to where more people could potentially borrow, but eventually you throw out the entire underwriting standards because of the magnitude of growing like crazy. How do you do that? Well, you've got to do it with over leverage. So the numbers that we saw during the great financial crisis, for example, in places like Goldman Sachs and then uh, Chase and everywhere else, we saw unprecedented leverage where the, rate, the, the leverage ratio, in, uh, ratio was like 40 to one in the lending. And then ultimately you have minimum, minimum buffer zones in terms of your actual capital. So what does that lead to? Well, it leads to three sure things. Egberto and your audience, it leads to A, they're going to report record profits. B, the CEO and the board is going to get wildly successfully rich. And third, they're going to destroy the institution. So ultimately, what we kind of what we do as a misnomer throughout uh, American society, because no one in media grasps these very fundamental, detailed aspects of what is a criminologist state of affairs is to understand who did what, when, and how. Now, interestingly enough, we threw out journalism too. Ask yourself, where in the New York Times are they revealing this? Where in the Washington Post or even the Houston uh, Chronicle or Post for that matter, if it still exists? And ultimately, how are they revealing what becomes this criminal enterprise, which we used to do within criminal referrals? They don't. And then ultimately what happens when the whole thing blows up? Who's it? investigating to find out what happened, Egberto. The same people that once worked for Wall Street. 
Yes, yeah, so it's a ro it's a uh, what you call rotating door, revolving door, revolving door. Yeah, that's right. So ultimately, that then again brings full circle what I said at the outset of today's dialogue. In my estimation, the way I define it is it's corporate fascism undergirded by a criminal syndicate, and that's not hyperbole. What it means in the end of the day is it's theft, it's legalized theft, and that's one side of the rhetorical three-level stool that has created the corruption of everything that exists in power. Now, uh, uh, on today we pretty much covered a lot of this on the on the high level. Our next uh, episode will cover it more on a personal level as far as how do people get conned. So you're going to describe how the con actually work on the personal level because this is high level the guys in the in, in the big offices they have the big picture of the big fraud but the fraud has to be executed one borrower at a time one one small person at a time and that's what we're going to go over at the next time patrick thank you so kindly for having been here on politics then right Onwards and upwards, my friends. I look forward to the next version, the next um, episode. Episode. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead. Number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.